Hello, I'm Emily Danielson, and I am so excited for you to hear what my husband, Chris Danielson, has in store for you in his message entitled, Our Hope Defined. Chris goes after deception and manipulation and talks about weak Christian living by taking us to Matthew chapter 23, verses 13 through 39. Now mark this message as a don't miss for those who want to see Christians strengthened for the days in which we now live. So now from the main auditorium at Fresh Encounter Church, here's Pastor Chris with our hope defined. Well, welcome today. The message is entitled, Our Hope Defined. And I want to explain the context. Is Jesus is our hope. Jesus is our king. And he is our hope in the midst of the current madness that is the world at large. The blatant dishonesty and lawlessness that is just exuding around the globe and around this country is breathtakingly manipulative. You know, the old trust the science folks who then say, unless it's something to do with gender. You get what I'm saying? It's like, I'm sick of it. I've had enough. And in my prayer time, I started going through this a couple months back, and today's the culmination of that. So those of you visiting, after this message, if this is your last time here, thank you for giving it a try. (laughs) This will be as close as you get to an apology. Many of you may know that we are on the initial steps of another banking crisis. It's a worldwide crisis this time. And I'm picking this particular topic to start this message out of a dozen that are available that could possibly offend you. But this one is looking bad. With a proposed solution of this banking crisis that has all the markings of bringing with it real end times type drama. We're talking about July, folks. The banks are going to start trading complete digitally. What does that mean to you and I? Well, you got to start, I think, by taking a look at the chatter that is coming from what's called the global sovereign debt default. You wonder why they're spending money like drunken sailors? Because they don't expect they're going to have to pay it back. Now, everything I'm telling you, you can easily Google yourself. This is not like some deep conspiracy theory where I know somebody and somebody knows somebody. No, it's none of that. This is all just straight up. It's right there for you if you can see it. But this global sovereign debt default, when it comes, will change everything. And it's being planned right alongside the global ID campaign. Have you been following this for the last six or seven years? The global ID campaign is well underway. And by the way, it stalled spectacularly under the Trump administration, by the way. And the handing over of many nations' sovereignty is upon us to the World Health Organization, or the WHO. Who? The WHO. The Great Reset. Google it. The Great Reset. You property owners, you selfish pigs. That's how they talk about us, behind our backs. Social scores. You were in church today, in a Bible-believing church today, your social scores got to come down a few notches. We'll see if you capitulate to Caesar enough to be able to buy your next bus ticket or plane ticket. That's what's happening in China right now, and that's what everybody says is all the rage. 
That's what we should be doing. And at the end of it, they all say under their breath, that'll help shut up these Christians. <laughs> See, we are now in the next steps. The first steps was the creation of what is now known as the global tech surveillance economy. Look that one up. The proof is now empirical. You can't deny it. Tech and government partnered together to censor and silence any dissent. And it's still going on. The proof is now empirical. You cannot deny it. It's there for everybody to see. You can try to change history. You can try to manipulate it. But the facts are the facts. Big Pharma is entrenched alongside tech and government to create the narrative. And they are entrenched so that they can fund much of the next steps through what I call collateral partnerships. Now, this might go fast, and there's a reason for this, so stay with me. This is not the thrust of the message. Jesus is the thrust of the message, but take the appetizer and enjoy it, okay? Can you follow the trail? During the pandemic, the push to vaccinate was so strong because it was and is a wealth transfer system. And it was so strong, and it's the holiest of all globalist doctrine is population control. That's why people who don't, you know, have any skin in the game anywhere will still fall down on this side if they're a globalist. Abortion, homosexuality, all these things lead into their holiest of holies, which is population control. I don't say so. They say so themselves. Google their websites. Look up uh, Great Reset. Look up ID2020. Just read what they write and try to hear what they're saying. See, follow along. Government tasks mainstream ma media to get in line. Even Fox News turned and intentionally suppressed facts to support and prop up a narrative that then fulfills the needs of the globalists. And I say this not as a pastor, but as a journalist. Many of you know that journalism was my major in college. As a journalist, you look at this stuff and you say, this can't be real. This can't be happening. And then you realize that every mid-level director to vice president level, and even in the C-suites of most major media companies, you've got a really nice gig going. And you don't want to upset the apple cart. So you go with what they tell you to say. Do you know how many times in our career we were handed liner cards and we had to say things about companies that we did not either A, know, or B, believe, but it was part of our job? You're paying six figures to talk on the air for three hours a day, and they say you, they want you to read this about a car wash, which you just had a bad experience about, but you do it anyway. Best car wash I've ever seen, even though they scratched my car two weeks ago. You can't say that. You follow? In other words, nobody is going to go against the narrative that comes down from the top if you want to keep your job. And in this culture, in media, once you get off from X company, Y company's not hiring you. You're done. So that you say, well, what happened to the people that were neutral, that, that had integrity? They all got washed up in this, or they have left. And they're on the outs. See, after this, big government then drops huge stacks of cash on big pharma. And they push 200 million vaccines on the population. Now, media supports this rush to the vaccine, you know, and they suppress anything. And by the way, when I say suppress, I mean suppress. It was a joint effort to suppress things like herd immunity, ivermectin, hydroxychloroquine, and more. 
you know, herd immunity can't fund the media or big pharma, can it? No. April, first week in April 2020, the governor of Michigan was sending letters to doctor friends of ours, which we received copies of, that said if you prescribe hydroxychloroquine or ivermectin, we're going to pull your doctor's license. How do they know two weeks into a pandemic? So now Big Pharma is spending like drunken sailors on every media platform that participated in the global agenda. I'm going to watch the NASCAR race this afternoon. And I guarantee you, I will see at least five different big pharma-type commercials. Sports live programming, just watch how many pharma ads do you see. Do you really think there's that many people with restless leg syndrome that can support a multi-million dollar media campaign? Or how about uh, enough people that want to trash their immunity system for clearer skin? Remember now, everyone by this time was supposed to be on their third or fourth booster by now. Problem came up. And that was that the truth about the vaccine not being able to really stop COVID and for sure, zero, zero chance that the vaccine will help stop the spread. So now that the cat is out of the bag, part of the scheme is now DOA. It's dead on arrival. But that doesn't gonna, you know, that's not going to stop the globalist freight train. Oh, no, it rolls on. It just needs to change tracks and keep plugging. And don't ever forget this. You as a Christian, if you are one, you are, one, you are their number one enemy. They hate you with a hatred I can't even put into words on this Sunday morning. Now, I have a biblical reason for bringing all this up and a social one as well. See, so many churches and pastors are afraid to speak this way because either they don't really understand what it means to protect the flock or they turn Jesus into something he isn't, a cartoon Jesus. We talk about it in the movie Bible Idiots, cartoon Jesus. If he can fit into your box, well, then we must never speak of anything that may divide. Instead, we must focus on love and then move along, right? Please know, if you take anything away from the first part of this message, please know this. This is the end of this, all right? I don't give a rip whether you're vaccinated or not. Couldn't care less. That's not the point. The point is the vax was sold to us, has been proven to be false and fraudulent, in many ways. And the ads and the narrative as a former journalist, as a former ad executive, it's sickening. And it's now been thoroughly debunked, so debunked, so hard, there should be retractions, yet we don't see any. And what I'm sharing with you is no longer opinion. It is reality based on actual evidence that's been uncovered. Now, it's still suppressed, but it's no longer disputable. So what is it with the inability for human beings to see what is right in front of some folks? Why can't they see it? An ethics professor once said, you can't rationalize facts to people whose position is based on pure emotion. Look, authority. What you have always thought and felt has been legit authority in your life has told you X. Yet all the facts and the evidence says otherwise. Yet people hold on to X. Sometimes you hold on even tighter. Why? Why? It's because of ego. It's because of tribal identity. You are invested in this falsehood and you don't want to be wrong. So you capitulate. See it all the time. You see it with gamblers. 
You see it with the most profound legal gambling, gambling in the stock market. You see people holding on to stocks so long, even though they know the proof is right in front of them, it's a dying deal, it's a dead deal, yet they hold on. The big one for my career, because we've been creation speakers since 2007, is the evolutionists. And I'm paraphrasing now, five different major evolutionists have basically said the same thing. I could, you know, I'm just going to give you the generic quote, but it goes back to the 50s. In the 1950s, some of the leading professors from Harvard and other places were basically saying this statement. You ready for it? They say this. I know that macroevolution is a myth, a theory, and most likely a dead end. But to admit that, I will never do. The alternative is then a creator God whom I could then be responsible to. Consequently, then, in the church age, many will change Jesus into what fits their view instead of allowing Jesus to be God in their lives and the scripture to be the unleashed tiger on the soul. Now, you're wondering where the scripture is. It's coming. It's coming. And I want to take for you some time and I want to show you that Jesus had three parts to his ministry. When he started his ministry in Cana and made the water into wine, which I still hold as a about a 2014 French Bordeaux, but that's a whole other story. All the way up to when he rode in on the donkey, that's part one. Part two is Passion Week, from the donkey to the resurrection. And I want you to see that there's a shift, and that's what we're going to talk about today. And then from the resurrection to today, called the church age. That's what's happening. Now, A.W. Tozer wrote this, and I'm going to share a big chunk of it with you right now. It's our hope to find. Recognizing Satan's strategic initiative, if you can get in on the game that's being played, you have a chance to win. And let me tell you how you win. You win by surrendering your life to Christ and allowing him to live through you. It's an amazing thing. But here's how Tozer put it. This is Satan's strategic initiative. Many times in history, the Christians in various towns, cities, and even whole countries have given up their defense for reasons wholly evil. Worldliness, sinful pleasures, and personal ungodliness have often been the cause of the church's disgraceful surrender to the enemy. Today, however, Satan's strategy is different. Stay with me. Though he still uses the old methods where he can do so with success, getting us to stumble, getting us to fall, his more effective method is to paralyze our resistance, to paralyze our resistance by appealing to our virtues, especially the virtue of charity. First, Satan creates this tearful, emotionally weak, and wholly inaccurate concept of Christ as a soft, smiling, tolerant wimp. He reminds us that Christ was brought to the Lamb as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before the shears is dumb, he opened not his mouth, and then suggests that we go and do likewise. And many of us do. Then, if we notice that Satan's foot is in the door, we rise to oppose him, and then he appeals to our desire to be Christ-like. You must not practice negative thinking, he tells us. Jesus, Satan says to you, don't you remember Jesus said, he that is not against me is for me. Also, he said, judge not. How can you be a good Christian and pass adverse judgment or any, on any religious talk or activity? 
Controversy divides the body of Christ. Don't you know that? Love is of God, little children. So love everybody and all will be well. And my favorite Christianese line is, oh, that might be all going bad, but Jesus is still on the throne. Whoa, happy day. Thus speaks the devil in your ear, using Holy Scripture falsely for his evil purposes. And it is nothing short of tragic how many of God's people are taken in by this sweet talk. The shepherd then becomes afraid to use his club, and the wolf gets the sheep. The watchman on the wall is charmed into believing that there's no danger, and the city falls to the enemy without a shot. And so Satan destroys us by appealing to our virtues. The presence of our true hope, Jesus Christ. From the time he rode in on the donkey till he rose from the dead on that Sunday, which I call Passion Week, Jesus turned up the flame. And we, I believe, if we look around today, need to do the same. See, the four Gospels give a different perspective of the, of, of the, of the narrative. And when the story is written in more than one Gospels, that's called parallel Gospels. In other words, the story's told in Mark and Luke and in Matthew. But John also covers a big chunk of Passion Week, even though John is kind of a separate narrative. And so let's see what happened with the Gospels prior to Sunday, prior to the Palm Sunday when Jesus rode in on the donkey. There were healings. There were teachings. There was traveling. He was revealing the Son of God to the world. He had things like the Sermon on the Mount, the calling of the disciples, the Mount of Transfiguration, healing of the blind from birth, the lepers and the lame, as well as many pre-Passion Week parables, stories, to better explain the kingdom of God. Now, Although I think a few of those stories we read, Jesus might have told multiple times in slight variations with emphasis on whoever was his current audience. An example would be the farmer goes out and scatters his seeds. I bet Jesus taught that a hundred times. Maybe he didn't, I don't know. But it sure goes likely when you do a deep dive study on the three-year ministry of Jesus Christ that he told these stories quite a bit. But what happened during Passion Week and why, is it, why it's important that you see the camera turn, you see the twist, you see the amped up adrenaline in our Savior. And our hope gets defined. When you read the Gospels, after the arrival on the donkey, the teachings throughout the week get so intensified, and that's where we're going today. Why? Because when people aren't absorbing, when people are opposed to the truth, especially when you got folks who think they have a form of righteousness, when they actually have a soul-destructive theory or belief system that doesn't save, and you don't point that at them and judge them with it, they testify with their own mouth that's what they have. So you can clearly see during Passion Week, Jesus ramps it up. Jesus is striving to get through. He's striving to break through. So let's talk about some of the things that happened, and I want to slow down and go through the various gospel parallels, then I'm going to look at a couple things more closely. Ready? After Jesus arrived in Jerusalem, he taught strong in the temple. On the temple steps, on the Mount of Olives, he was alive and he was aggressive. Now, a few, let's first of all get this up and out of the way, because I want you to understand that clearing the temple, okay, is an obvious one. I'm not even going to go there because there's so much more. There are many more examples during this week. Everybody always wants to go to Jesus clearing the temple to show his assertiveness and aggressiveness. 
But if you pay the slightest bit of attention to the text in the Gospels, from him riding in on the donkey to his arrest and trial, you will see clearly. I want you to watch for the edge in some of these stories that I'm going to briefly cover. Then I'm going to do a longer one in Matthew 23. You ready? Here we go. You have the teaching story of the wicked tenants. Some call them the evil farmers who reject any and all landlord the landlord sends. That's the same stories in Matthew 21, Mark 12, and Luke 20. Then you get the wedding banquet, banquet where those people that are invited and, and, and there's somebody in there then that doesn't have, you know, the, the people that are invited don't want to come, so he, the king invites anybody else that wants to come, and when they come, somebody gets in there that doesn't have wedding clothes on, so that person gets tossed. Oh, that is a huge story there. Huge story there. By the way, just so you, when you go look up it later, the wedding clothes that you got was like the wristband you get when you go to a, a concert or whatever. If you didn't have a wristband on, why are you here? You're supposed to get a wristband or a stamp at the door, right? It's the same thing with wedding clothes back in the day. The wedding clothes that were assigned to you meant you were, you were part of the, you know, the, the, the invited guests. You deserved the free food and the free beverages, blah, blah, blah. Then they started questioning Jesus that week from the top dogs in town, things about taxes, the reality of the resurrection. And then you can go and look for yourself this no-holds-barred blasting that Jesus gives about hypocrisy and the falseness of religious leaders in Matthew 23, 1 through 12. We're going to start in verse 13 today in a minute. Mark 12, 38 through 40, and Luke 20, 45 through 47. Look, then, after what I'm going to share with you, then they go to the Mount of Olives, and Jesus tells of the future things that's in Matthew 24, Luke 21, and Mark 13. And all of this happened after Palm Sunday and before Good Friday. Now, we're a week removed from that, so I want to share this with you today. But just before the narrative about the future, Jesus brings the heat. And this is, when I read this, this is Jesus saying, there isn't any more time to play games. I'm going to tell you exactly how it is right here, right now. One scholar said, this is Jesus telling folks off. I say, this should put to bed cartoon Jesus for most of you that Satan created and Tozer warned us about at the beginning of this message. So do you want to hear it? And I want you to hear it. And if you want to read it, you're going to have to look it up later because that is all that's going to be on the screen this whole time. Just the reference. I'm not putting the words there for you. I want you to hear it. And when I think of a, a very gentle man getting angry, I think of my dad. If you think I'm all, I'm worked up and I'm this, you know, outgoing person, I get that from my mom. My dad was, was more or less a quiet guy until he got fired up. And then when he got mad, I mean, it was just like, wow. And so after he got saved in 1978, he wouldn't curse or swear anymore, so he'd come up with other names. He'd call people jack wagons. What is a jack wagon? I don't know, but I don't want to be one. Then when we were kids in the neighborhood and when we would be explaining something so common, we would say the word, after we'd say what we wanted to say, we'd say, duh. Or if we were really thinking you weren't listening, we'd say, doy. <laughs> so I want you to hear the Lord Jesus Christ getting it. And there's a huge eternal principle in here for every person that's ever been created. And by the way, this isn't the political, this is the religious elite. 
These are the people that were supposed to be the ones to share God with you. This is who Jesus is talking to. And by the way, this is very public. He's on the steps of the temple. Everybody's around. He's the prophet that they're all been talking about. Now he's going to raise up his voice and speak and listen to what he says. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, in verse 13, you hypocrites. And Christians shouldn't call names. Really? You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those who are trying to enter, enter. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when you have succeeded, you make them twice as much a child of hell as you are. You encouraged yet? Verse 16, woe to you, blind guides. You say if someone swears by the temple, it means nothing, but anyone who swears by the gold of the temple is bound by that oath. You blind fools. Which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred? Duh. You also say if anyone swears by the altar, it means nothing. But if anyone who swears by the gift on the altar is bound by that oath, you blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? Therefore, anyone who swears by the altar swears by it and by everything on it. Verse 21, and anyone who swears by the temple swears by it and by the one who dwells in it. Verse 22, and anyone who swears by heaven swears by the God's throne and by the one who sits on it. Bada bing, bada boom. Verse 23, he ain't done yet, folks. Verse 23, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former and here's where I put my paraphrase, you jack wagons. Verse 24, you blind guides, you strain out a gnat but swallow a camel. Verse 25, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Verse 27, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but inside are full of bones and the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Where's cartoon Jesus? I, I ain't seeing him. Anybody see him? Verse 29, he's still going. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You build tombs for the prophets and decorate the graves of the righteous. And verse 30, you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would not have taken part with them in the shedding of the blood of the prophets. So you testify against yourselves that you are the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Verse 32, go ahead then and complete what your ancestors started. He's basically saying, do it. I dare you. I double dog dare you. Take me down if you can. That's what he's saying. Verse 33. This is, this is the big one. This is the, the show-stopping number right here. Verse 33. You snakes. You brood of vipers. How will you escape being condemned to hell? Didn't Jesus say just love everybody? 
Verse 34, therefore I'm sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. And and so upon you will come all the righteous blood that has been shed on the earth, from the blood of the righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Truly I tell you, all this will come upon this generation. And now I'm going to tell you, I believe, that Jesus is so worked up And he's just laid it out there for you to hear. Hopefully cartoon Jesus is dead in your heart right now. Because he should be. And then he turns and he talks to no one in particular. He talks to the whole town. This is the exasperated savior cutting loose one last time. And he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. You who kill the prophets and stone those who sent you. How often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Can you feel the exhale from Jesus? Then he crosses over the Kidron Valley to the Mount of Olives. And disciples know the vibe of the moment. You can feel it. Once you get your mind around this, you can feel it as he starts chapter 24 and chapter 21, uh, 24 of Matthew, 21 of Luke, that the end times is near, the time of the end. So Lord, please tell us about that. And so then the Lord shares. You can read it in chapter 24, Matthew, 21 of Luke. And Passion Week moves along. And you get so much more of the storylines that add to the glory and the greatness of the Lord. You get the sheep and the goat parable. You get the last supper in this time. You get to hear about the plot against Jesus. We also see Jesus get anointed with a jar of very expensive perfume. You get Jesus uh, predicting Peter's trifecta denial. And you get the amazing event at the Garden of Gethsemane. And then there is the rest of Jesus while still in the garden. And... This version is told in John 18. And it's the one that touches me the most. Because I know that God created men and women with gender roles that are beautiful. And I know that there's some of us men who always seem to have to check our masculinity at the door, at masculinity at the door to walk into a church. And I'm saying that is not the church that Jesus wants. I'm going to read it to you, and then I'm going to explain it to you, then we're done. John 18, 1 through 9. Listen. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the brook Kidron, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to him, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, I am he they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Verse 8, Jesus said, I told you, I am he. If you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken of those whom you've given me. I have lost not one. 
want you to notice a couple things. I want you to notice in this moment is the why Jesus was not some limp-wristed, soft-spoken, easy, wimpy guy. When he laid down his life for you and me, it was a real man, our real God, who went willingly out of incredible love for you and I. Now, in verse 3, the band of soldiers and officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, they went there, it says, with lanterns and torches and weapons. Do you know what that means? That means it was a mob. That means it was a bunch of people that were gathered together. Some people think it was uh, 30 to 40 when it says band of soldiers and some others. Others believe it was closer to 100 guys. I just read to you how in their face Jesus was a few days before. You don't think they had some motivation? So here comes this mob. What kind of presence do you have to have where a mob of 30 to 100 guys have to band together to come and get one guy? Think about it. They said, whom do you seek? And Jesus, uh, and, they, and they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Do you know what those two sentences mean in reality? That means a group of people that you have offended has come with a mob to smote you, to get you, to make you suffer. And they bring 30 to 100 guys, let's just round off and say 50 guys for discussion today. And you know they're coming for you. Where did they find Jesus hiding? Oh, they didn't find him hiding. No, no. We're talking about our king. We're talking about the Lord of lords. Jesus walked out from behind the tree who are you coming for? Why are you here? In other words, bring it. You got nothing. You can't touch me. I will lay down my life, but you've got nothing. That's what he's saying here. And so just to put an exclamation point on it, when he said, I am he, the I am is the great reference here, claiming that he was in fact the great I am. And to put an exclamation point on it, he blows 50 guys off their feet. I am he. Boom! Now get up and do what you got to do and never doubt that you came and took my life. I laid it down. That's huge. That's huge. That's not cartoon Jesus, people. Jesus is our only hope. He's our only hope, and he is our hope defined as a real man, a real God, and somebody who had real emotions and had passion. And I'm telling you, look around. Do some Google searches. It has nothing to do with politics. It has everything to do with is your name in the Lamb's Book of Life or is your name not? Now's the time. Wake up. Just don't go woke. See how there's a counterfeit for everything? Get justified now. If you don't know Jesus, get justified now. If you've been justified, grow in the Lord, grow in your sanctification now. What's it going to take? Well, I heard one guy say this one time. Uh, well, when I see the tanks rolling up 36th Avenue, then I'll, then I'll pay attention. Good for you. I'm so glad you're on my team. 
You know that kid who doesn't care and fumbles all the time? You really want him to have the ball in the fourth quarter? I don't. Get justified now. If you've you've been justified, grow in the Lord. Look, when I read this stuff, and when I see what God's doing, and I know that the time of the end could be short, I just want to evangelize, and I want to share the word, and I want you guys to get strong for such a time as this. And I only want to be around people who want to link arms and say, when the wind of darkness comes, we're going to stand firm. And what's backing us up, what's holding us upright, is the love of Jesus Christ and his power and his authority and his spirit. That's what I want to be around. So moving to Harlan, Iowa was like winning the lottery for us because we met a bunch of y'all and we're thrilled that God's put us here with you guys. But I'm telling you, when you, particularly you men, when you get that vibe in your heart, when God puts that spirit in your heart that the time is now and you get that coming through the tunnel, game seven, This is why we play the game adrenaline pumping in you. It's because the time is now. Your time of mamby-pamby games is over. It's time to be real. I start calling you guys sinners and losers. And and, and a couple people complained. Most of you laughed and got the reference. We don't think we're anything because Jesus is everything. And if we don't recognize we're a sinner, look, it comes down to this. My notes are done, by the way. The sermon's over. This is now just me going off. When you look at your life, and when you see that you are a sinful person, then you have an opportunity for the free gift of salvation. Because that is part of the disconnect. I'm telling you that the Bible says, and I believe that people are all sinful. The Bible says that the heart is deceitful above all things. That means we need a Savior who gives us a new heart, takes out the heart of stone, gives us a heart of flesh. When, I, when my heart breaks, for some, we've had a bunch of different hospital situations going on this week in my family and in my world. And when I say my family, I mean I'm talking about, you know, like Levi and like, like Peter and like Beth, Emily's sister. And when I'm praying for them, it's a heart of flesh that's been put there by God. I don't care about these people. My heart is deceitful above all things. But Jesus changed me into a new creation in Christ. The dead is gone, and now I'm alive. And it's this aliveness that is what I want to be about. Now, over here, the world is going to tell you, all people are basically good. All people are basically good, and they just mess up from time to time. And if the environment was right, and if we could eliminate racism and, and white people, then we might be able to have a good, good world, right? Got kids sitting in circles in schools complaining and, and lamenting that they're white. How stupid is that? You take God out of culture, this is all you're left with. And it's a mess, and it's madness, and it's ridiculous, and it's lie upon lie and manipulation upon manipulation. And when God gives you eyes to see and ears to hear, then what do you do? Well, you revolt is what you do. And how do you revolt? We, as Christians, revolt 
by praying harder, by studying God's word harder, by asking Jesus to reach us, and by loving each other more. That's what we do. But we do it with an aggressiveness that matches the times. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just ask that you would continue to motivate each and every one of us in ways that we can't conjure up ourselves. There's no pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, Lord. We need your spirit to infuse us every day to strengthen us. Let us not be hypocrites. And when we are hypocritical, let us fall down at the foot of the cross and repent. Lord, we love you and thank you and praise you for all that you are to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks for listening to the teaching ministry of my husband, Chris Danielson. BibleIdiots.com is still the website for this show, but we have grown. The new parent ministry is found at FreshRoadMedia.com. We would love to have you join us on our sister broadcast, a talk show that walks out Christian living and Bible apologetics entitled No Apology with Emily and Chris a weekly download from freshroadmedia.com. Both broadcasts are listener-supported, and we would love to have you join us as the Lord leads. I'm Emily Danielson, and thank you so much for spending some time with us today, and may you see the blessings of the Lord as you go and serve your King.